action. Welcome to Torn Stubs with me, photographer Robert Gershenson, and Josh Winning, the greatest film critic you've never heard of. And we're going to the movies to celebrate the release of Joshua's brand new book, The Shadow Glass, which is now out in all the stores. We are watching the best of 80s sci-fi and fantasy and seeing what got Joshua's creative juices bubbling. Joshua. Brothers Mikey and Brand, played by Sean Astin and Josh Brolin, are about to move away as their house is being demolished to make way for a golf course, of all things. Worse, they're leaving behind their friends, Mouth, played by Corey Feldman, Chunk, played by Jeff Cohen, and Data, played by Jonathan Kiyu Khan, collectively known as The Goonies. On their final weekend together, the friends stumble across a treasure map and one last adventure beckons as the Goonies set off to find the lost gold of pirate One-Eyed Willie while attempting to avoid crime family the Fratellis, who always seem to be one step behind them. Can we get the genre question out of the way first? Is this a fantasy movie? Look, it's a quest movie, right? And it deals with pirates, but... They're obviously dead unless they're very, very skinny and they've got that kind of skeletal <laughs> look. There's no paranormal stuff going on. There's no mystical stuff. But there is sort of a hint that maybe the pirates are not dead, right? There's, yeah. there's the idea that the pirates have waited for the right people to come and sort of unlock them from maybe there was a curse i'm stretching here aren't i <laughs> why are we covering this film it's a quest film <laughs> i i've always kind of thought about it as like indiana jones for kids obviously raise the lost ark is intended for a family kind of audience as well but i think this perhaps more so because you've got the traps you've got the excitement the adventure the kind of dusty grungy kind of feel to it um, yeah, but there's there's um, sort of paranormal elements at the end of Raiders of the Lost Ark with the when the Coven mm. the Ark of the Covenant opens and all the Nazis melt and you've got the spirits flying around. There was none of that in the Goonies, and if there was going to be that, it would be at the end when they meet up with the not funny named One Eyed Willie. Yeah, I guess it's kind of, I like the fact that the film almost toys around with the fact that it could at any moment erupt into fantasy. Mm. So that kind of gives that scene towards the end when Mikey's talking to One-Eyed Willie in the in a ship. It gives that, that scene such an, um, like a lovely sort of um, atmosphere because you're like, is he suddenly going to like Pirates of the Caribbean this and just jump out at him? Um, but actually the fact that it doesn't gives it more like more emotional depth i think than it would have had if it was just a gung-ho fantasy pure fantasy perhaps spielberg calls it adventure fantasy uh who he produced it and richard donner who's the director he says i never saw it as fantasy it's a true story we just happen to be documenting it which i think is hilarious that's quite a cute way of that's quite a cute way of putting it yeah that goes back to how robert harris writes his books even though mm-hmm. even though they're they're fiction and they might be based a little bit in fact, you know, he sets it against 
the Munich agreement between Neville Chamberlain and, and Adolf Hitler in one of his books, there's still an idea that half of his stories are fictional and he needs to know just as much about the fictional element as he does about the factual element in order to basically write the document of that of the of the happenings whether they're fictional mm. or not yeah well he's kind of doing he's doing like alternate history type stuff but he's not doing sort of fantastical history i guess mm. it might be a silly question but you've obviously seen this before right <laughs> yeah this isn't the first I've, time you watched it god no i've watched this film a lot um but i i just have no memory of my first watch i couldn't tell you when i started watching it I feel like I must have seen it as a kid, but I think it's one of those that I sort of rediscovered as a teenager and sort of re-fell in love with it kind of thing. I think as a kid, maybe it was just a bit too um, sort of realistic. Like the first sort of 20 minutes or so, it's really loud and energetic and bouncing around the house. Um, It's all really chaotic, you know, even from the moment... I mean, it starts with one of the Fratellis pretending to have hanged himself in prison. Like, there's so some dark. really dark stuff. This is a kid's film. Yeah. This is a kid's film. This isn't, this isn't aimed at adults. This is a kid's film. And it, but it does start off with an absolute bang. It starts off with a, a prison break and a car chase. Yeah. And then a car show. Yeah. And I just, I love the, the chaotic, I, now I love the chaotic energy of it. Like the fact that when he breaks out of prison, he then jumps through the, the like sky roof what's it called like the roof window <laughs> sunroof <laughs> the, sun the sky roof <laughs> <laughs> um yeah it's just sort of it's just it's nuts the, the first 20 minutes so i think that younger me perhaps was slightly put off by it but then younger me also loved everything that happened basically from the moment they go into the lighthouse cafe because it's scary but it's it's sort of adventurous. It's got that pure-hearted adventure to it. Yeah, I mean, this is. I mean, without this, we we don't get we we don't get versions of it. We don't get Stand by mm. Me. We don't get Stranger Things. And arguably, we don't get South Park either. Really, I feel like there's there's a vein of Goonies in South Park, like the particular that line um, when Mouth goes, "Yeah, well, you're ruining my joke." Like that's such a Cartman kind of line yeah i can see that i can see the the lines being drawn there what's crazy is there's only 13 years one three between the goonies and south park isn't that oh, crazy yeah. yeah they just seem god south they park seem was... eons apart yeah but the first i remember watching the first episode or the first season of south park it was on super late on channel four and i so i would have been late teenager maybe sort of mm. 17 18 years old and just oh, then you like, came to it late i i feel like i watched it when it started oh but maybe it was on comedy central first and comedy, then it I moved to yeah Thomas i used to watch it on comedy central when i was 15 yeah like summer of 90 yeah like the summer of 98 it arrived here yeah that's it was mind-blowing oh completely it was mind-blowing. so out there but sort of you know, starring naughty. the voices of people that you loved. Yeah, really <laughs> naughty. naughty. But with the Goonies, <laughs> yeah. I feel the Goonies has just always been there. I don't remember a time before the Goonies. It's just always been such a, a staple of bank holiday television <laughs> for kids. I've never seen it yeah, on the big and, screen and I've never owned it on 
DVD, it's in enough places and it's on enough times that you don't need to own it. Yeah, I actually do have it on DVD. I think I bought it in like a, one of my DVD buying sort of periods about 10, 20 years ago. Um, but I think on TV they did cut it. I think they did edit out the bit where he's hanged in the, in the prison cell. <laughs> I wouldn't, yeah, um, as, I would imagine if it's shown before Watershed. And a couple of um, a couple of swears. A couple of swears. A couple yeah. of swears. What? So do you think this is a Richard Donner movie or is this a Steven Spielberg movie? Well, it's it's a story by Steven Spielberg. It's written by Christopher Columbus. It's directed by Richard Donner. It's got the energy that he would then bring to the Lethal Weapon series. Yeah. That brilliant interplay between the kids is then replicated between Riggs and Murtagh and all their, their cop colleagues, right? So mm. it, it seems that... It seems that Richard Donner kind of took the the lead from Steven Spielberg. Mm-hmm. So it's it's a nice way that maybe Donner learned how to direct a different kind of picture. Because his Superman film is so austere and it's so heavy with important... You know, it's a very important film. And obviously The Omen is pure terror. <laughs> Yeah, but they neither those films have the same energy that his later films would then have. Yeah, so well, the Omen seemed... is a very different kind of family film, isn't it? <laughs> it's like very different kind of family. Dark side of the family. Yeah, Damien, it's coming on the podcast last Halloween. Yeah, this is the second time we're doing a a Dick Donner, the Dick yeah. Don, Doctor Dick. <laughs> He said that Spielberg was always there looking over his shoulder, but he says that he embraced it because basically Spielberg was the biggest kid of them all and had the best ideas. So I think it was a very different relationship that Dick Donner and Spielberg had as opposed to a couple of years earlier when Spielberg was working with Toby um, Hooper on Poltergeist, which is obviously the one where, you know, Toby Hooper felt like he wasn't really being allowed to make the film he wanted to make and Spielberg sort of stepped in and started... directing stuff well maybe Spielberg learned his lesson because he took a he took a page out in mm. Variety or something saying you know thank you Tobe Hooper for your work on Poltergeist I think Spielberg maybe realised he was being a bit of a far too much hands-on executive producer so maybe on this he learned his lesson and went okay I've come up with a story I've sort of nurtured this but Dick Donner's got to be the one who actually make calls the shots on on set because mm. otherwise what's yeah. the point in dick donner being there yeah yeah absolutely i think it's probably like the similar way that george lucas stepped back and let lawrence kazdan just was it lawrence kazdan no Irvin kershner sort Irvin of kershner. let him obviously do empire and but richard, i do yeah i think and that... richard marquand the welshman on return of the jedi <laughs> <laughs> but i think that goonies the only moment where goonies feels like Spielberg is the moment where you get a lens flare when yeah. um, Chunk goes up to the car uh, un- not knowing the Fratellis are in there and you get that lens flare from the, from the high beams on the headlights. But there's lens but flare otherwise... all over, like when they're in the caves and there's some nice Spielberg lens uh... flare. And it looks like a Spielberg 80s town, doesn't it? It's drab oh, and God, it's yeah. wet and it's brown. Everything's sort of yeah. wooden and sort of rotten with seawater and they ride fucking bicycles. <laughs> 
Yeah, of course. It's that, that great overhead shot of them riding through the uh, the forest kind of bit. Just oh brilliant. yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're they're wearing shorts Such over tracksuit bottoms. It's just pure Spielberg. Yeah. You know, there's a there's a certain there's a certain sect of films that people will go, oh yeah, that was a Spielberg film. No, Back to the Future was a Robert Zemeckis film. Oh yeah, that's yeah. a Spielberg film. No, no, no. It's a Richard Donner film, The Goonies. But it's yeah. so in, ingrained in the Spielberg sphere, it's it's impossible mm. to separate. Yeah, definitely. This is a great cast. Oh yeah. You got Sean Austin, who would go on to be in Lord of the Rings and even Stranger Things and other Mr. films Frodo. that rhyme. <laughs> we love you, Mr. Frodo. Um and he was also in was he in Toy Soldiers, that film set in the the American military school that suddenly gets taken over by terrorists and the kids have to step up and save the day. Oh. Maybe Tin I've Soldiers. I've never seen that. Yeah, it always used to be on Late Night. I love it. Will Wheaton was in it. Uh, Josh Brolin. Will Wheaton. Will, Will Wheaton. Josh Brolin in his debut role. He's great. Yeah, and you'll know him from... Everything over the past 20 years. <laughs> oh, no. Dune. Everything. Dune. Well, like most recently. Sicario. Sicario yeah. 2. Um, Mimic. Classic. Shadow Man. The Paul Verhoeven film. I've never seen that with one. With Kevin Bacon. It's like a... Um, it's like a... Not Hollow Man. Hollow Man, not Shadow Man. <laughs> Hollow Man. It's like a... He's the one who doesn't go invisible. <laughs> um, Hollow Man is like a, a modern take on The Invisible Man. Yeah, Corey Feldman. He's in this before. Yeah, is it before or after? No, it's it's after he was in Friday the Thirteenth Part Three as Tommy. Four. Was it four? Part four. Part four. Sorry, yeah. as Tommy. We also covered that f- like five years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was in Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. He was in. Was he? Yeah, he voiced Leonardo or one of them. Wait, in the film, he voiced the turtle in the film. No way. Yes way, man. <laughs> no way. I had, yeah. I did not know that. Well, every day's a school day. Um, That's he, brilliant. And obviously he was in Stand By Me um, yes. and in Lost Boys and The Sequel. Lost Boys. He's in lots of stuff. Robert Darvey was in this. He was in Licence to Kill. And mm-hmm. he was one of the mm-hmm. Johnsons in Die Hard. He's great. He's so terrifying. He's so brilliant with his singing ops, just him randomly singing opera is just absolutely terrifying uh jonathan k kwan he was in yeah. temple of doom yeah not that for same, love, was it the same year Jones. jonathan no. k kwan was it the same year as this or the year after uh temple of doom was 84 oh okay yeah. and mary ellen trainer who played mikey's mom she was in die hard she was in death becomes yeah. her she was in Lethal Weapon. Another so she's a Dick Donner veteran. Dearly departed. Did she die? Yeah, she died a while back. Oh. Yeah, and the same with um you missed out the most important one, which is I can't pronounce her name, I'm very sorry, but I think it's Lupa Ontiveros, who plays Rosalita. Ah, uh, what's she been in? You might recognise her as Mama Solis in Desperate Housewives. Oh, of course. Your favourite yeah. TV show. <laughs> oh, yes. Murdered by Andrew. She's great in this. She gets so many hilarious moments. I, but probably my favourite is when she her very first shot where she's got the umbrella in the middle of the road and the cop cars go whizzing <laughs> yes. past. She's sort of like <laughs> jumping. <laughs> well, it's weird that she's in that scene and then 
15, 20 years later, she gets run over by Andrew Vanderkamp. Oh, yeah. The lovely Andrew Vanderkamp. What does this film say about American capitalism? Oh, boy. I mean, there's a lot going on there. It's... uh... It's clearly, you know, ripping the heart out of America, isn't it? It's these, the villains are, you know, the villains who aren't the Fratellis, the real villains are the golf playing, uh, you know, um, what's the, what are they called? Like developers. Yeah. But like they kind of have, they go to like clubs, like gentlemen's clubs and stuff like that. Racist. They go to the Hamptons on their holiday. Yeah. That rich people, <laughs> race, white supremacists. There we go. Yeah, that's them. So, like, the villains are Troy and his parents, basically, because his dad yeah. is the one who's trying to tear down Mikey and Brand's house. And, and I think he's basically brought up the entire neighbourhood, which en- encompasses all of the Goonies. Um, God knows how they're going to build a golf ho- golf course right where their house is, because their house is on a massive hill. Yeah, but, <laughs> but and it'll also be too windy, surely, to play golf. I, know. I don't think there's any golf courses specifically by the coast for that very reason well in reality astoria where they live that house is actually about 26 miles away from the coast so the guys actually bike 26 miles to get to the coast but still whatever um yeah i think that the the you know versus capitalism thing just adds urgency to the film that it Mm. may not necessarily have had because they're desperate for the cash you know when they find out that there's a a bunch of lost gold belonging to a pirate. This is their last ditch attempt at preserving their lives and their friendship and and this moment in their lives, I think. And obviously we don't get to see what happens afterwards, but you you assume they remain friends. I just feel that the kids are forced to endanger their lives in order to avoid foreclosure on the property. Mm. Which says a lot about America and the way that it values money. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and who are the victims? The children are. Yeah. Essentially. They're the ones who are going to suffer for this ridiculous expansion of, you know, a golf course when people live there. It's just completely ridiculous. Do you not feel that Mikey and his big brother are already suffering at the hands of the mother? Well, she's the one with the broken arm. Is it broken, though? Oh, is it Munchausen by proxy? Well, I think she's a hypochondriac, but she's also proper, like, Munchausen by proxied up to the eyeballs because she's she's basically saying if Mikey goes outside, he will die. Yeah. And by the end... And then he... It's like in It, isn't it, where he throws away the inhaler. He does that at the end of the film. Yeah, he does that. He's like, he doesn't need it. Mm. He doesn't need this fucking inhaler. He's, he's, he's Eddie from It, isn't he? He's that dead yeah. girl from the uh the sixth sense the one that's underneath the table sicking up yeah. porridge don't play with the gun don't play with the gun doesn't she blow her head off by accident no her, mother, that boy? Was, her mother was being all like munchausen by proxy and poisoning her oh yeah because that was misha barton misha yes, barton that's it yeah was she a yeah. pop star she was in the oc <laughs> Has she done anything? She sense? may have briefly dabbled with songs, but oh god, don't dabble with songs. <laughs> I never thought I was actually thinking more. Do you think that Data broke the mum's arm because she's like, "Oh, I see Data's back." 
because she'd seen the absolute wreck that he'd made outside the house. Data's legs must be very strong because he's just carrying all that shit around with him all the time. I know, he's fully loaded all the time. Any second now, he could explode. (laughs) Then the strongest pair of joke teeth ever. I know. To hold him. Well, that's the fantasy element, I guess. There we go. It's a fantasy. Yeah. It's, it's the chatterbox teeth. teeth. That's a fantasy. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, when I was on holiday as a kid with the family, I didn't just fuck off on my own. We were in a hotel in Bournemouth. And back in the day, there was a, a guy called David at the hotel who was always the kids entertainer. So he'd arrange activities. Mm. He'd you know arrange a foam fight. He'd arrange the discos. And he'd arranged the films that we watched. And one night he put on The Goonies. And that might have been one of the first or second times I'd seen it. I mean, from memory, I remember the film was familiar. So I think I'd seen it already. But when I went to bed Uh and I lay there and my dad looped back to the hotel room just to check on us, I was awake. And he was like, what? I was like, I'm really scared. And he goes, why? And I go, because of Mama. Yeah. Mama Fratelli was frightening as a child not Jeez. sloth didn't give a fuck about sloth mama yeah. fratelli was genuinely frightening to a seven-year-old eight-year-old boy yeah she is scary because you're it's it's an obviously an old stereotype but you're sort of led to believe that that mums are nurturing and they look after you and and all of this but actually she's not nurturing and, and caring or any of that stuff she's just out for the money and she threatens kids with violence. Uh, actually, do you know what? I do remember when I, I must have watched it as a kid because when she plonks down the so-called water for the Goonies, I always oh. just thought it was dirty water. But it's clearly like off beer or something. It's alcohol. Oh. It's clearly alcohol. Oh, I've always thought, I thought it was dirty water. I didn't realise. I didn't pick up that it would be beer. No, she's just basically served them booze, which explains so much. Really flat beer, if there's no head on it. Yeah. It's not all about the head, but you want a head on your beer. Does she love sloth? Does Mama love sloth? Mama's clearly terrified of him. Is she? Like, at the end, she knows what he's capable of. And I think that she's starting to lose her ability to sort of keep him where she wants him to be. Um... That's why she's chained him up in that room. You know, when they're on the ship and he's just knocked his brothers out by clocking their heads together and he goes over to her and says, you've been bad. She actually looks a bit like, oh shit, like he is twice as tall as me. I can't control him anymore. He's not as broad as her though. (laughs) He's not. His his voice isn't quite as deep as her voice. (laughs) She does have to walk sideways into a room. (laughs) Yeah. Looks like she's Um, basically got football like american football player shoulders without the pants yeah yeah exactly do you know i love her she's i find her fascinating like as a kid she's terrifying as a grown-up you're like wow i really want to get to know what's going on there yeah because she does she chain him up for his own good no she does it for herself because he's um i guess he's like an irritant like he's he's excitable and friendly and all the things that she hates basically you know he just wants to be friends when they're on the boat and she's singing, rock a baby on the treetop. <laughs> that, I feel, is the most authentic mama, where she is genuinely caring. She wants to soothe him. Mm. She's obviously a very complicated 
grey area character. I don't think she's 100% bad. I don't think there's a lot of good. But I genuinely think just in that moment, it just seems so sweet and so caring that she might be protecting Sloth from a society that values beauty and the idea of being, quote unquote, normal. Yeah, I actually hadn't thought of that. Yeah, maybe she is trying to protect him. And it's not yeah. like she beat him. She only dropped him once. Fall, fall. And they dropped you once. I mean, I feel like that's a lie. She dropped him a lot. It would only take one big drop to make him look like that. <laughs> is one big drop worse than ten little drops? <laughs> How far is she dropping him? I don't know. <laughs> like, if she dropped him down the stairs, that's, that's really not good. But how long are the stairs? <laughs> like a couple of stairs or stairway to heaven like battleship potemkin does she just throw him down yeah. those big stairs slash the untouchables and he's yeah uh <laughs> slash the untouchables <laughs> yeah right martin scorsese <laughs> slash naked gun 33 and three quarters 33 and are, they, third? are those the three films that do is it, it 33 yeah. and a third who yeah. is the rightful owner of the jewels whoever one-eyed Willie stole them from in the first place. Because at the end, obviously Mamacita, or whatever her name is, Rosanna... Rosalita. Finds, Rosalita finds them in the in the marble bag, and then they pour them out, and the dad rips off the contract oh, and throws it in the air. As in, like... Why yeah, does he stand there, like, touching his head? Like, he's forgotten how to sign <laughs> his own name. I think they were using multiple <laughs> takes of the same action. Because <laughs> yeah. he was just like, what do I do? What? I've got... What is uh, this? Byro. How does it work? So he um, he throws the contract up in the air and then the, the, the whole thing is like, yay, these jewels are going to pay for us to keep our house. But surely, hmm. it, on a legal sense, One-Eyed Willie's lineage and rightful heirs will have to be traced in order to decide, in order to decide who the rightful owner of the treasure is. Yeah. So how would the family any different from the Fratellis? The Fratellis are stealing and they want the jewels for themselves. And now mm. the family are using the jewels for their own gain. Well, isn't there a law about finders keepers when it comes to stuff like that? I'm I'm not a lawyer. I'm not. I just want to put that out there. I've never studied <laughs> law. I don't even know how to spell the word law, but I don't think it's enshrined in any law in the country that finders, keepers, losers, weepers is a legitimate yeah. legal standpoint. I think in this world, it 100% is. And it's purely because of the plot. They're you know, in the same world as us, ending. Joshua. They're not. They're in, they're in Astoria, which is Spielberg. It's in the, the suburb of Spielberg. Um, so you get the happy ending, basically. I'm not buying it. It's, it's American <laughs> capitalism. It's theft. It's theft. And quite frankly, they should have their house taken away from them if they can't pay fair and square. I also think that if, if it, makes, it makes them kind of as bad as the people trying to take their home, but they're also not duping these people because these people have clearly also bought into it as well. So they're basically playing the same game, I guess. Who's bought into it? The developers. The developers, yeah. Have they? I mean, they've just turned up with the contract. They don't know what's been going on in the, the caves underneath. I guess we don't see the scene after this where the police say 
that seat's property. Yeah. <laughs> that isn't yours. <laughs> and stop looking at the big ship. Just come with us. Get yeah. in the van. Yeah. And also, where did Sloth get his Superman t-shirt from? What is going on? Oh, well, I love that. <laughs> it's, an, oh, it's a nice little nod to Richard Donner's Superman, isn't it? Absolutely. And it wasn't that long afterwards. Mm, eight years? Yeah. Can the Goonies be enjoyed by adults watching it for the first time or only by those who watched it in their childhood? Um, I think there's, I think there's enough sort of genuinely funny stuff in it. You know, if you didn't have Chunk, Chunk in particular, I think, oh, poor Chunk. is the one who really taps into like adult humour. Not because he says anything particularly risque, but because he doesn't know how funny he's being. And that is funny to grown-ups. <laughs> so when he's sort of trying to scream, but no sounds coming out, that is just brilliant. And when he's telling the stories about the things that he's done that he's really ashamed of, like <laughs> causing an entire cinema to throw up all over each other, that is really funny. So I think funny is funny no matter what your age, basically. That kid is a brilliant performer. He's so good. Because he doesn't like, play it laugh, for jokes. Genuinely LOL. Doesn't play it for jokes. Doesn't play it for yeah. comedy. He's just playing it Has as no if, idea how funny he is. Yeah, he's playing it very real as if that kid is really like that. Yeah. And that's, the moment, like you can't teach stuff like the moment where he's gripping onto the ice cream bucket tub and oh, yeah. Thingy Fratelli tries to take it off him <laughs> and he, and he puts the spoon, spoon. In, tries to put the spoon <laughs> in his hand and that gets taken away as well yeah. you can't teach that kind of funny no no you can't um, <laughs> and, that's, and that's the thing with with this with this film every character is so well defined they're so different from each other they're not bland mm. little placeholders they are genuinely fully rounded brilliantly developed characters that work so well with each other but also against each other in terms of friction within the scene it it, it is a genius yeah. piece of writing yeah and i think the film really effectively so all of the mystery all of the things that happen in the film are purely driven by the characters every single time they have to find Every single, every single time the sort of the filmmakers have to find a way for the plot to move on, especially the mystery aspect of the plot, they do it through character. Mm. So um, Chunk knocks over the water cooler, which alerts them to the hidden passage. When they shake the pipes, the water blasts open a part of the wall that leads to another part of the tunnel. You know, every single thing that they do actually advances the plot and that's why this is such a great film about characters i think because they they lead the way and that's the main thing that i think gets carried over into things like it and stranger things in those yeah. films those characters are so well defined yeah absolutely i think that so for my philosophy i'm sure that i've picked this up from somebody else but my philosophy on story is that story is what happens when characters react to the plot so, like, if you look at, uh, like, the Jurassic Park T-Rex scene, mm. that moment when the T-Rex turns up, every single character reacts in a way that is unique to them yeah. personally. And each thing that they decide to do affects the plot. You know, like, the, the business guy is a coward, so he runs off to the toilet. 
you've got two different types of hero, which is Sam Neill and Jeff Goldblum. Mm-hmm. Sam Neill tries to make it better. Jeff Goldblum makes it worse. Yeah. You know, and it's so, so clever. When it's done, you almost can't define what makes a good film good. But I think that it's when it knows how to do that, basically. And Spielberg does it brilliantly. Well, he's the king, isn't he? He's the king. He's the king. He absolutely is. There is a very weird comment at the end of The Goonies when (laughs) the girl who ends up with James, not James Brolin, Josh Brolin, James Brolin was his father. The girl who ends up with Josh Brolin, who accidentally kissed Sean Austin during the film, thinking it was... Oh, Andy. Yeah, thinking it was the, the brother. She says, you keep kissing girls the way you do. The parts of you that don't work so good are going to catch up to the parts that do. That is a weird... It's so weird. It's a very strange thing to say. She's basically saying, come back to me when you can come. No! (laughs) Come back to me when you can. No. I think she was trying to be sweet, but it just comes off really weird and doesn't make sense and... She's thirsty. Just a bit gross. Thirsty, thirsty girl. Do you want a sequel? Never. Never, never, never. They've tried, didn't they? They tried so many times. And the last time I saw a film, a sequel, that tried so many times, it was Bill and Ted. Oh, God. Uh, And when they finally released it, they were like, this is amazing. We've done, we worked so hard to get this film to this point and it's shit. Mm. It's awful. It's one of the worst films I've ever seen. It's terrible. So we don't want to repeat that, do we? No. And where does the story go? There's nothing left to say. This is a one and done. This is a kid's adventure. What do they do? Go on an adventure as adults. Yeah. And that's probably what people think they want. But Mm. I don't need to see that. No, never have. Never I have will. no no intention of seeing that. No intention of ever. You know, if they were to make it, if it was a Disney Plus TV show, it just no. I'm just not interested. No thanks. Mm. What's the connection to the Shadow Glass? The connection to the Shadow Glass is, I guess, like you said at the start of this episode, is the quest. I love a quest. I love how much fun and excitement is generated by that. I love the i that I love stories that follow clues um and i think this film does it brilliantly i think it's got just enough set pieces based around puzzles and clues and dangerous stuff to kind of work really effectively and also it's got the ensemble cast i love a group dynamic it's impossible to write (laughs) it's really difficult (laughs) you know you've almost got to layer layer that stuff in because, like I said, it's, you know, characters reacting to stuff. And when you're thinking about six or seven characters and how they all react in the same situation and keep it, keep it, you know, brief as well, that is tough. And I think this film does it so brilliantly. It's chaotic, obviously. But like you said, each character has their own thing. Everything that anybody does adds to this whole. Uh, and it's just really effective. Um, and the final thing is obviously the self-referential stuff again you know sloth loves errol errol flynn errol finn Mm. and superman um so it's kind of funny seeing sort of nostalgia from a different era you know like in the 80s before they were aware how awesome they are sloth was in love with errol flynn who was what in the 30s 40s yeah um so yeah it's just it's fun to see that sort of like ladder effect of nostalgia 
was The Goonies, directed by Richard the Dick Donner. Joshua, give us a clue as to what's God coming up next God bless his soul. God rest time. his soul. <laughs> God rest his soul. Joshua, give <laughs> us a clue what's coming up in the next episode. We are getting a whole lot of man hunk. No, in the next episode, not what you're doing tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, I've got to go. I've got, uh, I've got some man hunk waiting. Uh, be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Acast and wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss that episode. And we're on Twitter at TornStubsPod. Are you a Goonie? What do you love about the Goonies? Come let us know. Goonies never die. Goonies never say die. Oh, they never say die. Did you know what Goonies, what a Goonie actually is? Why um, it's called that? No. Actually. So I literally only just found out when I looked at the Wikipedia page before we recorded. Yeah. Um, and it's because the area of Astoria where the kids live is called the Goondocks. Ah, so they are the Goonies. So that's why they're called the Goonies. I had no idea. So you're the you're the berries. I'm the what? The berries, because you're from Berry. Oh Saint, yeah, Berry Saint Edmund. I'm the Saints. You're the Berry Eddies. <laughs> and what are you? The Stolbens. I'm the Bushies. <laughs> the Bushies. I grew up in a town called Bushy, so I'm a I'm very bushy. <laughs> You've got to have really good hair to live in Bushy. <laughs> All over. Yeah. There's a reason they call me Jewbacker. Yeti. Oh, dear. I'm not going to touch that. <laughs> you keep your hands off me. <laughs> <laughs> we are off for a baby Ruth. Until next time, I remain Robert Gershenson. I'm Josh Winning. Cut. <laughs>